Hi, I'm Whitney Walker, and this is the Women Waken podcast, where I interview guests who are in the field of healing and spiritual work using their unique gifts of the divine feminine. We talk all about these amazing gifts that these particular guests have and how they're bringing them forth in the world. On this episode, I welcome the triumphant Stephanie Hutchins. Stephanie is an amazing woman. She's overcome some significant early life trauma to be a successful and amazingly helpful woman for others who have experienced trauma in their lives. Stephanie is a PhD, a life coach, owner of The Serotonous Life, and author of Transformation After Trauma, Embracing Post-Traumatic Growth. In her work and her book, Stephanie really emphasizes how we can learn to understand how trauma impacts us, our actions and our attitudes, and how we don't have to be 100% resolved from trauma to help others and not have to feel isolated or that we need to stay silent. That we can begin to embrace and grow after our trauma and really encouraging and helpful information about how we can truly see our own unique trauma enables us to bring forth skills, ideas, and opportunities that might never have come through otherwise. So take a listen, enjoy, and here's my guest. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Whitney. <laughs> Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. It's such an honor to have you. I have really been moved by your work. Stephanie, you and I connected just a few weeks ago. We found each other and thought that it might be a good fit for you to be on the show. And it absolutely is. You have such an inspiring story of overcoming trauma, recognizing and sharing with others that there is life after trauma. And, you know, I, I came across it at a time where I have really felt recently, like, I, I don't know, I think it's astrological. I think it's a lot of different factors, but it's my, it's like my trauma has been coming back to visit me because it wasn't addressed that I, I was what I've realized sort of, um, you know, I, I read somewhere that when we're traumatized, we have, it's, it's sort of like we have these parts of ourselves that we really sort of reject. They become like our unclaimed parts and they are kind of left behind. And until you really incorporate those back, you know, there's, there can be a lot of struggle and, and that trauma still really isn't uh, letting you go. Right. So you sent me the first chapter of your book and I just was so appreciative of it. It was so synchronistic to get it at that time because I, I was starting to forget that it's possible to use your trauma for wisdom, for the, your greatest gifts that sometimes your trauma can unlock your greatest gift, which is a whole, the whole, your whole thing. And I just love that. I haven't really connected with anyone in a long time or, or really ever who really focused so much on that. So I love what you do. I love what you're about. Why don't you introduce yourself as well? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very excited to be here and to have the opportunity to, to not only share my story, but also, you know, my, you know, the hope, that's really what I want to share is this message of hope that trauma doesn't have to mean the end of our life, you know, and the end of enjoyment and happiness, that it in many ways can be the start of, yes, a tumultuous journey, but a beautiful journey. And I, I'm certain we'll spend time talking about, about my, my traumas, but, but my life now is immensely beautiful and it has blossomed out of my most painful experiences in life. And it only happened when I stopped looking at all I had lost and all that would never be because of my trauma and began to focus on the strength and resilience that it took for me to stay standing with each progressive blow and, and to focus on what I gained from my trauma, like immense 
compassion and empathy. And when I started to look at all that I gained, I wanted to, I got excited about my possibilities for the future. And now I'm committing my life to taking others with me on this journey of post-traumatic growth. And that's why my book is titled Transformation After Trauma and why my coaching practice, um, although the name is considered odd by many people's serotonous life. It's all about this concept of using immense hardship to um, fuel a massive and in many ways, beautiful growth afterward. So. And that's just so beautiful and so needed to get that message out there, to have that message available because trauma is just pervasive across the board, you know, in our world and people just don't always know what to do with it. And it's so uncomfortable. It can be very tormenting to sit with trauma. And because like you said, it's that, you know, the battle you have with trauma where you, you ask like, why did this happen? And you almost like bargain with the past. I've been there where you're like, almost like in your mind, you're like, could this have not happened? And then that's such a dangerous place to go because you, you can never change the past. But when things are really hard to accept, I think we tend to do that. Right. And that can pull us into a very vicious cycle of shame and self-blame. And it keeps us stuck. I mean, we put ourselves in literally an impossible situation to get out of because we literally have not a lick of control over our past. And in anything, you know, even little bits that we try to hold on to that we could have done something about then, we can't do anything about it now. And the only thing we can do now is figure out how to move forward with the immense sorrow that's behind us. And the only way we can really do that is by focusing on that it is behind us and, and, and being able to figure out, well, how do I go forward now that I, and, and sort of start separating yourself from all this baggage instead of lugging it along like a huge weighted anchor as you progress through the years of your life, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's about letting the, the story die. I right. think that's a huge part of it because just to your point, you know, I was thinking of that recently is that, you know, as, as unfortunate as some of the things were that happened, I thought, well, but how wonderful is it that that was so many years ago? It's not here anymore. I made it through and I have all this time between. So, but why am I not able to, to see that as, you know, as, as a gift, like what a gift here I am now, but it's because those stories keep playing in your mind and you relive it. And it feels like it's still right there on your shoulder. You know, that what happened to you is just a breath away. And so until you really can see I think the the gift of it and make peace with it, then it beca- you can let go of the story and t- stop letting it float around in the in the present. Yeah, and you know, and I I like to think of it not in the sense of letting go of our story, but changing our story. Like we cannot divorce who we are from our trauma. Right. Like our pain. It has made us, whether we like it or not, it has made us who we are today for better or worse. And so, but I, so I think in many ways is we can't let go of this pain in the sense that it'll never affect us. But what we can do is change the meaning behind what's happened to us and the story we tell ourselves about our past. And I think that's very important. And that's part of the work I do with my clients is rewriting their story. And 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 looking at it instead of focusing on the could have and should have and you know all the could haves and should haves and would haves and focusing on what is a new meaning that you can give to those experiences so that it doesn't weigh so heavily and keep you in a stuck state you know it's all about how can you frame your story in a way that makes you more resourceful so when you do think back to that pain 
You don't always associate it with something that truly hurts every time you think of it. You can begin to associate it with something that's less harmful to you and sometimes even empowering. And that's where I think the shift in my mind has happened. And it changed everything for me when I was able to start looking at my trauma, not from a place of like disadvantage and loss, but as of a place a place of power where it actually gave me strength because I've endured so much. And so now when I look at my long history of pain, I don't look back and and with pity on myself. I look back with pride for myself at my story because I'm like, holy, I'm going to swear. I'm sorry, but holy shit. I, I overcame all of that. I did that. I did that. And that fills me with immense pride. So the reworking of my narrative, I still have that past. It's still there. It's still part of my story, but the meaning behind it and what it means for me in my future has completely changed in how I view it. And so it's, it's, again, it's changed everything for me. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's the part is that, so when I say, say, let the story die, it's the story of being that, that victim. It's the story of this thing happened and because of it, it, it ruined me. And I, I'm still, I, you know, I think it's a lot of the, I am thing. I, I am that person that was, you know, abused or bullied or hurt or neglected, whatever it is. And then letting that story die. And then, cause then again, just as you said, you reframe it to, I overcame that. And I think of the strength and endurance I had to have and look at who that's made me today and look at the things that my trauma has opened me to that I would never maybe have even been a part of acknowledged and now it's brought me to be the person that I am today that's wanting to you know as you and I are ones who want to help others to be healers and be able to use our experience for the betterment and the highest good of others and what a gift that is right So, but it doesn't always feel like that, right? There's still bad days, there's still struggles and there's a lot of people out there who are not there yet. So Stephanie, could you share a little, I'd love for you to tell us where you are now in terms of the work that you do now that you've reached this, you know, this place where you've summited and you can see above the clouds and it's beautiful and you have a lovely life that you've created. You're an author, you're a life coach, you're so many things. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your life now. And then we'll right. Back. All right. So I love that you use the analogy with the mountains because the mountains are very special to me and have been very important to me in my healing journey. And I think in many ways I have reached a beautiful summit. You know, I am staring off into a, a a beautiful future, you know, for myself. And it's very bright and and you know, I I, I'm blessed in many ways. You know, I um, recently published, you know, again, my first book, um, Transformation After Trauma, Embracing Post-Traumatic Growth this past summer. And my next book is going to be published um, next year in 2022. And, and it's all based on this idea of how do we reclaim our life after devastation? And, and so a lot has happened since my darkest days and and some of the big events were that I, I completed my PhD and I uh, was a college professor for 12 years and I taught, I'm a ma- mainly anatomy and physiology. So I taught about the human body and and I also taught other biology courses um, in, about nature and everything. And, and what began to just fascinate me was how much resilience I saw in nature, not only when I was out hiking, but also when I was studying and teaching about the human body, I saw how all living organisms are able to adapt to, um, in in many ways, thrive in, in response to immense stressors. So take, for example, our bones. You know, our bones grow stronger based on stress placed on it. And actually they grow strongest. Like if you were to break a bone, 
our bones actually grow back stronger in the places that they were broken so they don't break in the same way again in the future. Our muscles only grow in response to micro traumas, um, injuries to the muscle. And, and when I started to see this, it just expanded the possibilities in my mind and again, helped me with that reframing and helped me with shifting that perspective on my pain and seeing that that yes, it may have hurt, but actually it's it's triggering an immense growth and immense sense of strength in me. And so I use that to get through like 12 years of college. Um, I've always worked and I went to school at the same time. And, um, and, and it, I've used that, like I started my business when I was working full time and just, I kept this picture of resilience and strength. That's not only in me, but in all life and use that to keep pushing me forward, whether it was on literal mountains or on my own personal mountains in my life, you know, and just continue to put one step in front of the other and continually remind myself of my inner strength and resilience and my ability to keep pushing through even when it was hard. And so now I, you know, I, you know, I have a home I love and I, I finally feel safe in, you know, for most of my life, I haven't felt safe in my homes and, and I finally feel safe and I have a career that I love and I travel all over the world and, and I have amazing experiences. And, and now most of my motivation is fueled by just empowering others and, and reminding myself of the beauty that I have within me and what um, I should be sharing with the world. And, and I really feel in so many ways that I've been blessed in my life. And, and I never, there were many years I never thought I'd get to this place. Like I still many times surprised I'm still alive today, you know? And when I think back you know, 10, 15 years ago when I was contemplating suicide on a daily basis. And for there's so many reasons I shouldn't be here, but I am. And I, and I made it and there's still, I still have hard days, but, but I made it through, you know, the deepest pain and, and I'm very proud of myself. And, and I just try to pull as many people along with me as I can on my journey. <laughs> well, I'm very proud of you as well, Thank Stephanie. You. I'm so glad that you have made it to this place because anyone who has endured a lot of trauma deserves peace. I also just, I love that you have this background in biology and this understanding of nature, because to me, that's spiritual, that's spirituality. When I get in a dark place, it helps me so much to bring my focus back to remembering who I really am you know, which is not the things that have happened to me, which is not just this lifetime. It's deeper than that. And nature helps you remember that, you know, that nature is a part of a whole system that's connect, inter, always interconnected. You're never alone. You're always, and I think that's one of the hardest things for us when we experience trauma is we feel so alone. We feel like this just happened to me and I have to suffer with this and experience this individual autonomous experience that is so lonely and upsetting. And again, I think when you connect more to spiritual, you recognize that that's not the case. It's big. We're bigger than that. We're more than just our, you know, our own selves in this body in this one life is what I believe. And so I just love that you can take inspiration from nature and see how resilient nature is, how strong everything in nature is, how, you know, they're, they're able to persevere through things. And so are we. Right. Yeah. So I just love that, that, that view that you have and you can share. You. So Stephanie, I would love if we could take you back. You know, I would love to go all the way back. And as much as, as far as you'd like to go, I would love to hear your story. And I know the audience would as well, because again, there are so many people out here who are struggling with their own trauma and, and maybe not at that place yet. They haven't summited their mountain yet. And they're wondering if it's possible. And there's nothing like hearing others' stories to have some com comfort and inspiration. So we'd love to hear yours. Yes. Thank you for the opportunity to share. So, you know, at a, at a young age, um, I knew life, you know, could be hard. Um, I'm the oldest of three girls and, um, and, 
um, my parents used to fight horribly. And I remember taking my sisters into a, a, a bedroom and, and huddle them into a corner and try to close their ears so they couldn't hear. And, you know, and, you know, I, in many ways felt relief when my parents divorced, but that left my mom, a single mom taking care of three little girls. And I was the oldest. So in many ways was, was taking care of my sisters at a young age. And I felt in many ways that I could not um, burden my mother with more than she already had on her plate. So when I was first um, sexually violated by a family member at nine years old, I didn't say anything. And the abuses continued for a while. And I just felt that was my burden to bear. And then at 12 years old, um, I was violated again by another family member. And um, and this one was, um, he was particularly, um, um, he would just say really nasty things to me. It wasn't the sexual, even just the sexual violation. It was just the, the terrible things he would say. Like I was um, always, when I was young, I was, I was a little overweight and he would grab, he was here. I was like 12 years old and he's grabbing the fat on my stomach and saying, look at you. You're so disgusting. Like you should be so grateful that I even want to touch your disgusting body. And so like he shamed me and, and I, it, the abuses went on for months and, and I, um, I eventually told, but then nothing happened with it because he was a family member and we grew up in a, we were in a really small town and, and the decision was made that charges would not be pressed because of the stigma associated with it being a family member. And so when at 13, another family member violated me, I never said anything and I just felt that was my burden to keep carrying. And then within the next year, um, between the ages of 13 and 14, I was violated by two other men in our area. Again, I grew up in a very small town. And when I would stay at like friends' houses, I would have men, grown men, think it was okay to come into the room I was in, you know? And... And then, um, you know, so during these years, I developed uh, an immense sense of self-hatred and disgust. Like, I just thought I was a disgusting human being. And I developed a very severe eating disorder at a young age. And so in my early teens, it um, came in the form of, of me over-exercising. So I would walk or ride my bike for miles. And then I would stay up for hours um, doing like exercise videos into the night, just trying to burn off all the disgust from my body. And then um, at 15, um, I, I also was starting to drink at a very young age. And so um, when I was 15, I was at a friend's birthday party and my mom knew I was spending the night. Um, the adults that were there were feeding all of us young people, all of us teenagers, um, liquor. And I did so many shots that I, I blacked out. And I remember at one point falling down the stairs, but um, that night, so my friend's mother, her boyfriend and his friend were two of the adults feeding us liquor. And that night, both the mother's boyfriend and his friend violated me. And, and one of them I woke up to uh, after I had passed out from falling down the stairs and the next morning, I'll never forget the mother. I'm standing at the bottom of those same stairs. I fell down and then was being violated when I came to afterward. I remember standing at the bottom of those stairs and my friend's mother coming down the stairs. And she looked at me with such disgust. I felt like I needed to apologize and so I said to her, I'm sorry. And she looked at me and said, you knew exactly what you were doing and got everything you asked for. 
And so, of course, I didn't say anything when I went home because I felt it was my fault and I couldn't say anything. And then when I was 16, um, because I used to walk all the time, um, a, um, a teenager in our town came up behind me on one of these walks and put a knife to my throat and tried to pull me off the side of the road and into towards his house. And luckily he lost his footing when he was trying to pull me off the side of the road. And I don't even know how this happened, but when he lost his footing, somehow I was able to get my, I was able to get the knife away from him and run away to safety. And of course the police were called that time, but no, nothing happened to him because he was a teenage boy in a small town. We didn't want to ruin his future um, because of this mis- quote unquote mistake. So again, my burden to carry and was just made worse when a family, when a relative through marriage, when I got home after the police came, um, my one of, again, these relatives looked at, it was a woman, looked at me up and down and said, look at what you're wearing. You must expect that these things are going to happen to you when you walk around town dressed like this. So then when at 19, I was drinking at a party and was violated again by the eighth man I was violated by in my lifetime. Um, Because I don't count even the knife attack as a violation because he wasn't successful in assaulting me sexually. So eight men have successfully sexually violated me. And the ninth one or the eighth one was when I was 19 years old. And because I had been drinking, it was at a party. I felt I had no right to say anything. Now, of course, you know, I know now later on, I'm 39 years old and and I've gone through a lot of healing. I know that these stories I used to tell myself, you know, um, many of them are not true. And these stories people tried to make make me believe about myself are not true, but I believed them for the longest time. And so when at 24, I found a man who was twice my age He was an addict. He was a heroin addict and he was an alcoholic and he was on life parole. And I didn't care about any of it because the man loved me in ways that I had never imagined. He was the first man in my life to ever make me feel that I was deserving of love and respect and did anything he could to bring a smile on my face. So even though he had all of this, like we would call baggage, I didn't care at all because I was finally being made to feel that I was deserving of love and respect. And so after a year or so of being with him, I finally decided to start and we had decided to buy a house together. And when I saw that we were starting a life together, I decided to start seeking help for um, my traumas. And so um, so I was 25 at this point. And at the beginning of the year, it's January, I'll never forget. At the same time, I started my PhD program, the very first quarter of my PhD program, I started to see my first therapist to talk about my traumas. And here I was feeling I had somebody I could finally trust with my pain. Literally, the day I decided to tell him about some of the traumas I was reliving, his mother found out she had terminal cancer. So I didn't feel that I could burden him with my pain. So as I had practiced for all those years, I kept my pain to myself and I watched his mother die while holding her hand a couple weeks later. And then two weeks after weeks after that, I found him dead. And a week after that, a week and a half after that, I closed on the house him and I were supposed to be moving into together. And so here I was reliving traumas that I had buried deep for years. And I was reliving them in a home without the man that was supposed to be there for me to help me along this journey. And so I was suffering immensely and I went into a really deep depression. I, um, I, 
I started putting weight on like crazy. I was just trying to push away all my pain with food and my weight got up to 222 pounds. And before the age of 30, I had high cholesterol and sleep apnea. And, um, and my depression got so bad that for a while I wasn't able to work. And um, so I had bills piling up. I had debt collectors calling me and I was sleeping with so many men. I can't even like count trying to replicate what I had lost, you know, and when my significant other passed away and I just thought life would never get any better. And so for many, many years, I contemplated suicide almost daily. And, um, and I just thought, I just thought it just could never get better. But the amazing thing is, is that it did. And it was all because the turning point was my mother. You know, a lot of people don't understand like I, I so I have a very special relationship with my mother. My mother and I are very close today. And um and I know like even she doesn't understand in many ways, you know, why I don't hold resentment towards her, you know, for all these years that I suffered when I was young. But but she's my biggest cheerleader and her and I have a lot of wonderful conversations and 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 when I was going through that difficult time and unable to work, she helped me out financially. But I kept um, spiraling down downward. I was getting worse. And she gave me an ultimatum. She says, I cannot continue to help you unless you get help. And so unless you start seeing a therapist, I am, I'm not going to continue to support you financially. And that was of course, very devastating, you know, for her to tell me that she's reached her enough is enough point, you know, and I had to make the decision of whether I'd have enough of living my life the way I was. And I had a choice. I could either, you know, I could kill myself. I could keep on this path of self-destruction. I was already considering prostituting myself to, um, to pay the bills if she wasn't going to pay. And then I, my other option was to figure out a way to move forward. And I decided to move forward, but then became the, the task of how in the hell do I do that? <laughs> Like, how do I do that? And so I was like, okay, she's not going to support me financially. So what do I need to do? I need to get a job. But I couldn't just go from like barely functioning to working again. I had to like start bathing again. I wasn't leaving my house for four or five days at a time. And so I wasn't bathing, I wasn't brushing my teeth. So I had to start with the basics. I literally started writing down little goals for myself every day. I started writing down goals to take a shower, to brush my teeth. I wrote goals to take out the trash. But something amazing started to happen is as I started to move forward toward these little goals, I didn't have to write them down anymore because they became habits. I began to feel that I was deserving of these most basic forms of self-care. And as I did that, I was able to start applying for jobs again. And once I was able to start working again, I started feeling good about myself and I started building confidence in my abilities and then I needed to start losing weight. And that's where I found myself in the mountains. And with being morbidly obese and hiking, uh, I felt like every hill I climbed was as big as Mount Everest. So I had to chunk every little hill down one step at a time and just focus on the one step in front of me. And what I noticed is each time I went out and pushed myself, I got stronger both mentally and physically. And I could go farther and faster each time. And I used that mentality to keep stretching my goals. I'd say, well, if I could achieve this, what else can I achieve? If I can achieve that, what else can I do? And that's why I, I feel like I live a, a spectacular life because I have accomplished so many things and I still continue to accomplish them because I keep stretching. I keep seeing like, holy, holy cow, I've endured all of this and yet I'm here. I must be able to accomplish anything I set my mind to and it excites me. I get excited and I guess I already said, I'm so proud of myself. And, and it's so, 
I feel so good to finally be proud of myself and not be so embarrassed and ashamed of myself and all that. I used to be so ashamed of what other people did to me. And now I know that that shame is not mine. It's theirs. And I'm no longer ashamed of what I did to survive, like the promiscuity and the overeating and the drinking. I'm no longer ashamed of that because those things kept me alive. They helped me cope on my most darkest days. And because they allowed me um, even a little small period of reprieve, they kept me alive a little longer. And because I stayed alive a little bit longer, I'm still here today to tell the story. And, and, and that's my story. (laughs) That is incredible, Stephanie. Thank you so much for sharing that with us and being open to be so vulnerable and allowing your story to help others because you, you know, your, your experience is profound and sounds incredibly scary for such a young child. And even throughout your teen years, all of those things, you know, to have so many repeated events must really feel why. And to have lived through that, to have the courage to is, is just really inspiring for, for so many, because sadly that's, it happens to quite a few young women and they don't always know how to navigate that. And I think several have similar reactions, which is turning to things. I mean, definitely addiction is a big part of survivors' stories. You know, you turn to food, you turn to alcohol, you turn to drugs because you want something. So thank you, Stephanie, for sharing your, your sacred story with us. And it, it really is just so encouraging and, and just really exciting to hear how you got through that. And you know, I love that you used your, your hiking, your mountain climbing. How did you, I mean, what exactly was it that made you want to climb a mountain? Like what I, I, you know, that's, it's a lot of work. It's actually like a lot of work and really expensive and takes a lot of time to do all those things. And you've climbed quite a few mountains. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually, it was so funny. Somebody was asking me the other day there, she was like, you know, some people can't even, here you were, you couldn't even leave the house and you took this leap to start like getting out and climbing mountains, you know? So, so a few things I'd like to say about that is that, well, one is even at a young age, I defaulted to physical activity. And so I, I would just go out and walk for miles or ride my bike for miles. So I always found an immense amount of relief from being able to get outside and breathe fresh air. And um, so what I did actually is I started to look at meetup groups. So I went to meetup.com and I started looking at what kind of groups they had in the area. And I saw a number of hiking groups come up. And so I started looking at that and I grew up in the Adirondack Park in New York. And even though I didn't grow up hiking um, per se mountains when I was young, I always was outdoors. So I started to look at the hiking groups and saying, well, I love going for walks and I love being outside and I need to lose weight. And so maybe this will be a great way for me to begin my weight loss journey because I knew, see, I say that one of my sayings I like to use is food is my one great love, you know, but it's also my preferred form of self-destruction you know? And so I knew that I wouldn't start eating better just because it was the right thing to do and it was healthy for me. But I knew that I'm okay with getting out and moving because it always made me feel better at a young age. But it was hard. Like I'm going out, I'm morbidly obese. I'm with all of these people that are like looking fairly fit. And I'm even just doing little local hikes with little hills and I can barely keep up. But something started, like, I'm a, I'm a very chatty person. I love to talk with people. And I started talking with people about their goals. Like, why were they out here 
doing these little hikes. And of course, I would get answers like just to be outdoors or to meet people or, you know, um, you know, to get healthy. But there was one that really intrigued me. And it was the woman that told me that she was doing these local hikes to train to climb Mount Marcy, which I didn't realize was the highest point in New York State. So that night I got home and looked up Mount Marseille and saw that it was part of a list of mountains in the Adirondack Park. And I realized there was 46 mountains over 4,000 feet and there was a list. And if you completed them, you could get a patch. And that excited me because I knew that I wouldn't exercise just to be healthy, but I would exercise to meet a goal. And that's always, I like achieving things because I felt always like I was, I was worthless. I always aim to be very good um, at things like my work and school so I could be told that I was good. And so I like aiming for things that can give me recognition to reinforce for me that I'm lovable and I'm worthy. You know, and so aiming for this list was right up my alley. But like, here I am, morbidly obese, trying to do these hikes. But like, I'm also very stubborn. And that's probably part of, you know, my personality that's helped me just be like, these people are not going to keep me down. You know, all my victimizers, time after time, are trying to hold me down. And I just kept clawing forward and just, felt like I was just barely moving an inch at times, but I just refused to let them win. And so I started, even though it was hard, I started working my way towards finishing these mountains. And not only did I finish those 46, I went on to finish all of the 4,000 foot mountains. There's 115 of them in the Northeastern US. I went on to climb 39 of the US state high points. I've, I've climbed, um, I've climbed all of the high points in the Catskill Mountains at least five or six times. I've climbed the high point in Central America and, and Europe and Africa. And, and throughout it all, it has proved to me over and over again that I can do hard things. And it just kept me moving forward. Every time I summited another mountain, I proved to myself one more time that I can do hard things. And anytime life got hard, I kept reminding me, you can do hard things, Stephanie. You can do hard things. And, and I've used that as like a mantra, just one more step. I can do this. And I just kept going. Wow. And what's the latest mountain you've climbed? <laughs> so interestingly wow. enough, um, so COVID has... Um, put the kibosh to my inner international traveling. So I have um, been doing local hikes and all these years. So, so there was many years I was hiking over 135 mountains each year. And so I, it's a lot. I was hiking a lot. Every single weekend, I was doing like two to eight mountains a day uh, every weekend. And so I was, so I have hurt my body some. So my knees and my back really bother me. And so I've had to let up <laughs> on some of my, my mountaineering goals, which has been a little disappointing, but I have since incorporated more yoga. Um, and so I do a lot of more local hikes. So where I'm located in New York, I have access to the Adirondack Park north of me, Casco Park south of me, and then a whole bunch of parks in the neighboring states I can easily access. So I, I regularly get out a couple times a month now and, and do local mountains. Fantastic. And then Stephanie, I'd love to kind of move into talking about, you know, this, this company started, Serotonous Life. And the book that you wrote, Transformation After Trauma, Embracing Post-Traumatic Growth. Because it sounds like your climbing these mountains was a part of your transformation. It helped you to process your trauma. But I'm wondering, did you even know that's what you were doing at the time? And when did you kind of figure that out? And what did that feel like to begin to realize the shift? When did you first feel the shift in the way that the trauma used to sit with you, the, your experience of that, and then how you came into a new experience? Hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know if there was a specific, 
Like I can't pin, I'm sitting here thinking very hard. Like, I don't think there was an actual period, like a specific height, a hike or like a specific time period where, where a light bulb went off. I, I don't, I don't believe that happened, but I know what happened. I could see even little shifts in my mind. Like I would start when I first started doing two mountains at a time, I would barely get up the first one and I'd see the second mountain and be like, oh my God, I can't even make it to the first one. How on earth am I going to make it to the second one? And then what would happen is I would get to the first one. Then I'd make my way to the second one and I'd be able to look back and I'd smile with pride and say, I did it. I did it. I didn't think I could do it, but I did it. And I kept doing that over and over. Each time I thought I couldn't do it, I did it. And and I don't believe that I, I would say like, that, oh, I can now go, like, I don't believe many ways it was conscious that I would say, oh, if I could climb this mountain, I can now go and set this other goal in my life. It just sort of happened. It just expanded my way of thinking. It expanded what I felt were possibilities for me in my life. And, 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 and really like now I can look back and say the mountains have, been so critical in my healing journey, but I don't know if I was really aware of the profound effect they were having until multiple years in to the journey. But they were so important that I made sure that on the cover of my book, Transformation After Trauma, I put mountains. <laughs> That's why my book cover has mountains and a girl looking at those mountains because they just, you know, served as an actual reminder of how many mountains I have summited throughout my life. You know, each of those violations was a mountain for me to climb. And I not only got up, I got down and over it, you know, and life kept me throwing me mountain after mountain to climb, but I went up and over every single one of them. And that excited me. And that's what excites me today. Even when I think about all of these literal and figurative mountains that I've summited. And so when I was, so something interesting happened um, in 2018. So I had set this goal to climb the seven summits, the highest point on each continent. And because I was getting so excited about these climbing adventures, I was getting so much recognition for my climbing, but it was literally breaking my body. Like I, I was just, I was in so much pain all the time. I was losing my love of the mountains because I was only going out and training. I wasn't enjoying it. And that year in 2018, I was on five continents that year. And that year I summited the high point in Africa and Europe. And when I finished the climb in Russia, that's the high point in Europe is there. I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed the other aspects of my trip to Russia, but not the climb. And so on my trip back, on my way back from Russia, I really did a lot of thinking. I really was thinking about, am I really climbing? Why am I climbing these mountains? And what am I trying to prove here? And what I was, I was loving telling people that I could do hard things. But what you, you know started to happen is people started following me during my climbing journey, but they didn't know about all of my past. No one did. I never talked about my past until recent years. And what I started to realize is people thought that I had been blessed with money and circumstances. And that's why I was having all these grand adventures and beautiful experiences because I was somehow blessed. I have been blessed, but I'm not in the ways that they thought. So what happened is I started to tell the world about my story, that I didn't just come here and get to this point by magic or somebody giving me this opportunity. I fought like hell to get to this point. And I started sharing my struggles throughout life, not just on the mountains. And people were like, wow, I would never know that. Knowing your life today, I never would have known what you went through. 
And I realized that people, my story of like the struggles, the other mountains I faced in my life were really resonating with people. And I was, because before I was unrelatable, I was like this person going out and doing these adventures around the world that they thought was never possible for them. But what I did is I started coming back down and saying, no, what I'm doing now is possible for you too. Any mountain you want to climb, you can do too, because this is where I was. And this is everything I had to go through to get to this point. And if I can do it, you can do it too. And so I decided to start looking into how could I share my message and how can I serve others and share this mission of hope, you know, after trauma. And I spent 12 years in college and took out a lot of loans. I definitely didn't want to go back to school, you know, to become a therapist or anything like that. So I was like, how can I help people? without having to go back and earn a whole bunch more degrees. I was like, I got my PhD. I don't want to keep going back. So I learned about life coaching and I was like, yeah, I've got this thing called life. I'm getting pretty good at it. Like I would love to take people with me on this journey. And so I started researching and I'm all about learning. So I started getting a bunch of certifications and, and then it came to my business name and I looked at some of, I just couldn't help but tie in my love of science with my business. And so that's why I chose to incorporate the word serotonous into my business name. And most people are like, Steph, that was a real bad move. Like people don't know this word serotonous. They don't know how to spell it. Why would you pick this as part of your business name? But it's so meaningful. Okay. See, serotonous cones only open in response to an environmental trauma like fire. And without it, they will not open and release their seeds. So if the serotonous cones do not open, theoretically, the species could go extinct because they wouldn't experience new growth. And a species of trees that have serotonous cones are the giant sequoias out in the Western United States, like in California. And what's interesting is these trees are threatened with extinction. And part of the reason for that is for many years, conservationists prevented forest fires from moving through parks like Yosemite, where these trees are located. And without fire, these new sequoias weren't allowed to germinate and grow and replace the populations that had died off. And so the entire species started to die off. And and now we realize that these they need the fire. They need the fire to melt the resin off from their cones so they can open and experience their beautiful growth. And the giant sequoias are literally the largest trees on earth. And we threatened them with extinction partly because we would not allow them to experience pain, trauma, you know? And so... My message is to tell people that the fires of their past, yes, it may have left some devastation behind, but it also allowed your cones to open. It allowed your seeds to be released and allowed for a massive growth to follow. And so that's why reframing is so such a critical part of my practice because it's about focusing not on the devastation that was left by the trauma, but the growth potential because of the trauma, not in spite of the trauma, but because of the trauma, because it changes everything when you can shift how you look at it. What an incredible analogy. And to, to, uh, yeah, and again, the, 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 the um, you know, the examples from nature that exhibit what the human experience, it's all the same. I just love that. I mean, and I love that you shared that because I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, I, being a Californian, you know, fire is, is the death of everything. It's, we want to avoid it at all costs. And, you know, I've, I've been hearing that more and more. I've been traveling the country and going to a lot of national parks and you hear that fire is actually a, a you know, I just, was in the Everglades and it's, it helps. It's a part of the ecosystem. It's it, for a long time. It had as, you know, a relationship with the environment that kept things in balance. And when people tried too much to prevent fires and were afraid of fires, it threw things off. And I never was aware of serotonous life and that there are 
places in nature where things are not unlocked unless there is some trauma. And again, what a beautiful sentiment for people to be able to hold for themselves with their own life and their own experience of trauma. Cause I don't think many people think of it that way. I don't think many people are able to look at what happened and say there was something that was able to be unlocked that otherwise wouldn't have. And it, it does make you feel strong and makes you feel empowered by what you've been through. And that's so important because we, what's the alternative is to live our lives just sort of waiting for our life to be over because we feel that this life has been tainted because of what happened. You know, I've been there where it felt like I just, I want to just live this out and just, you know, then eventually I won't have to identify as what, you know, what happened and how I've always felt about myself. And, you know, that's a very dark place to be. Okay. And I think that's the, the really important work to do is, is moving your, yourself from that unresourceful state where you don't see options for yourself to a resourceful one where you f- see options for your future. I mean, imagine this. I mean, a lot of people live their life this way. So I started experiencing trauma at a very young age. What if I, so here, my first sexual violation was at nine years old. What if I lived to be 90 years old? Does that mean that the majority, the large majority of my life should be horrific and miserable because of these things that happened to me that were completely out of my control when I was a child or even as a teenager? I mean, what a terrible way to live. But that's how most people choose to live their life is by focusing on all that will never be and all the devastation that was left behind instead of looking at the possibilities. And I understand that, you know, for any of your listeners where their trauma might have been very recent, that this whole concept of focusing on what you've gained from your trauma can in many ways seem absurd. <laughs> you know, there's some people, if their pain is really recent, they look at me like, you know, I'm a crazy person when I talk about what have you gained, but you might be too close to it right now. So with for anybody who's in that place where this is not accessible to you right now, this even thought that something positive could come from your trauma, I really encourage you to listen, keep listening to stories like mine, for example, and the stories of others that have endured immense pain, but are now on the other side of it, experience a, a life that's even better than they had envisioned before their trauma, you know? And and that's what I did. You know, I had for years when I was contemplating suicide, I had this negative story on repeat of, I was just focusing on the devastation and why me? Why did all of this have to happen to me? What did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? But that is a really dark place to be. And how can you ever be released from that place if you keep thinking like that? So what I did is I started to listen to personal development audio. I started listening to YouTube videos. I started listening to audiobooks. I started reading books from people that have experienced adversity and overcame it. And I saw that if it was possible for them, it's possible for me too. Because I studied nature and and humans for for most of my career um, and during my education, I know that there is minimal difference between one human being to another. You know, we may look different on the outside, but when you open us up and look at us in the inside, we look almost identical inside. As far as our DNA, almost identical. There's a very minute difference from one person to another. So what is possible for one human being is possible for any other human being. And so if you are in this place where it feels almost impossible to envision a future other than what you are current, the pain you are currently experiencing now, I encourage you to keep listening to podcasts like this. Listen to books, listen to as much as you can, read as much as you can to start building that belief that something better is possible for you because we will remain stuck in our pain as long as we believe that this is all that life will ever be is pain. You know, we have to find a way out of it and we can get that hope from other people. And what are some 
more things that you offer in your book, Stephanie, around, I know that one of the things you mentioned, even in the first chapter that I felt was really powerful was goal setting. The importance mm-hmm. of goal setting is something you've Focus on what are some other points that you that you offer to people who are really looking they they are ready to transform after trauma mm. they're ready to embrace that growth growth and let go of the past. What are some steps? So I think um, you know making the decision first that you want to change the way you're experiencing life is important. But I think the next thing that's really important is that you to start practicing self compassion for all the ways that you've tried to survive. And because what starts to happen is people start focusing on all the shame they have for all the things they've done to survive, the drinking, the drugs, the sex, you know, the overeating, you know, the overexercise, the overworking, just, just anything, all these things that they've done to survive, they start getting stuck on resentment and shame. And they, so they want to move forward, but then they say, oh, but I'm bad and I'm broken because of this, that, and the other thing. Here's all the evidence of why I'm no good and I'm never going to be able to move forward. So I encourage people to start looking at the negative coping strategies they have as, well, that they kept them alive. You know, see, uh, one of my, I practice neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, and we have a basic assumption that we believe that everyone is working perfectly. So that means every habit, behavior um, that you have, you acquired it because it served you in some way. So if you drink alcohol, if you use drugs, if you overeat, you know, if you overwork, you acquired every single one of those habits because they helped you. Now, yes, you may have kept them around. You've practiced them so often that they became a habit and you practice them without thinking and realizing what they were doing for you. You have to recognize that you initially did did those things because they served you. And so starting to look at all you've done as really with gratitude that it kept you alive and kept you moving through so you can... Because so you don't get stuck, you know, on the shame. And then I think the next steps are to make sure that you're practicing self-care on a daily basis. And so the majority of my book is focused on these self-care tools that I use throughout different stages of my healing journey. And, you know, trauma overwhelms our capacity to cope. And that's why we acquire all of these coping mechanisms that many people don't understand and sometimes we don't understand. And so in order to start replacing these negative habits, the overeating, the drinking, the using drugs, you need to have new coping mechanisms to deal with the hard things in life. Because even once you start moving forward, there's going to be hard days. Like it's a rough world. I mean, we are all going to experience some form of immense pain in our life. And so we all need strategies for coping with the stressors of life. And especially when we're trying to overcome immense pain from our past. And so every single day, you need to do at least you know, 10, 15 minutes of just something where you're doing something to take care of yourself and your own needs, whether it be meditation, going out for walks, taking a bath. And it doesn't have to be the same thing every day, but something that is filling your cup up and reminding you that you're worthy of moving forward. You're deserving of healing, that you don't need to be stuck in your unchangeable past. And part of why many people don't practice self-care is they don't feel they're deserving because some forms of trauma occurred by other people and left us feeling unworthy. And so you cannot wait to practice self-care until you feel worthy and deserving. You must practice so you will begin to believe that you're deserving and worthy. So it's going to be damn hard to do these practices when you don't feel you deserve it. But remind yourself what you've made it through. You're still living after what you've endured so you can handle the discomfort of pampering yourself for 10 minutes. And if 10 minutes is too much, start with five. And if that's still too hard, start with two and work your way up. But you need to build your belief one little step at a time that you're deserving of moving forward. Beautiful. Beautiful. Fantastic. You're quite the inspirational speaker. 
Stephanie. <laughs> it's getting me all pumped up and I know it was going to going to offer a lot for for so many people listening. So thank you so much for everything that you've shared from your personal story to your guidance on how we can begin our own healing journey of transformation after trauma. So Stephanie, if if people want to connect with you, if they want to work with you, if they want to read your book, if they want to check out Seratinus Life, how can they find you? Yeah. So my most used social media platform is Facebook. And so it's probably easier to spell my name. So you can type in Stephanie M. Hutchins, PhD into Facebook and, and I'll come up, my page will come up and you'll see my business, serotonislife.com on there. But you can go to, I'll spell it for you, S-E-R-O-T-I-N-O-U-S, serotonislife, one word. Dot com for my website and all three versions of my book, my ebook, my audiobook, and paperback are all on Amazon. It, they're on other places too, but Amazon's got all three versions, so it's probably easiest to go there. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I feel like we got a biology lesson today. <laughs> we got an amazing personal testimony of trauma and the surviving of trauma the overcoming trauma, and then the triumph after trauma. And because your story is that, I mean, here you are triumphant in this life and you're reaching a ton of people and you wrote a book, which is amazing. That's a mountain. That's a mountain in itself. It's a mountain. (laughs) You're on your, you wrote your second one, right? So you've almost done my second one now. Yeah. Two of those literary, literary mountains, (laughs) which I think are the hardest. (laughs) So, you know, I just really want to acknowledge that Stephanie and also just truly from my heart, just how happy I am to see you in this place where you, you have moved into, it seems like your life's work and sharing your gifts, your beautiful gifts that were able to open up because of the trauma and we're all better for it. And so grateful for you because, you know, all of us are working hard to, to, move through this thing called trauma and to reduce it and to reduce the impact. And I think the sooner we change our mindset about it, the less impactful it is. And the more we do feel like we're not alone and we're together in this and listening to you has really helped me feel that way. And I'm sure it's helped all of the listeners. So thank you again so much. So happy to be connected with you. And I can't wait to read your books. Oh, thank you. And I really am I'm grateful for the opportunity to, opportunity to be here. Thank you. You're so welcome. Take care, Stephanie. You too. Bye-bye. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guest. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at Whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And don't forget to let your light shine and keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.